the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in once again to the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. It is a Monday, a full show, a full 90 minutes going up until 7 o'clock. And with the Red Sox regular season over, we'll be in the mode of 90-minute shows for a while here, and we are pumped about bringing you the expanded version and full version of the show almost every single day. we got a huge show planned for you on this Monday. Former Patriots tight end and two-time Super Bowl champion Christian Fourier is going to be with us in about 15 minutes. Plenty to get to on the Pats' loss last night to the Bucks. Also plenty to get to on those Red Sox who, through all of it, end up hosting the Yankees tomorrow in a one-game winner-take-all wildcard playoff game at Fenway Park. You can always get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line at 802-585-3026, your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Let go! 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. You know, before we get into any game specifics about the Patriots or the Red Sox, we have to just acknowledge this. Yesterday was a great day for sports. Yesterday was an awesome day for sports. Like I'm thinking to myself, 18 months ago, when COVID first came into the picture, when everything was being canceled and so much was being taken from us, yesterday was the kind of day that we were robbed of for a lot of 2020. Yesterday was amazing sports theater. It wasn't just games were being played. Yesterday was sports theater. There was drama. There were plot lines. There were real things at stake. It was unbelievable yesterday. At 3.05, you had four baseball games that all mattered going off right at the exact same time. You had the Yankees and Rays. You had the Red Sox and Nationals. You had Seattle and the Angels, and you had Blue Jays and Orioles. They all mattered. And now us and every other fan base is doing scoreboard watching all around the league and all around the country. That is a rare thing as a fan. When you are invested as to what's going on completely around you beyond your team. Usually, like, hey, I follow my team. I'm going to see what else is going on. You know, check the scores the next day. Check my fantasy team, whatever. No, you were invested in four baseball games yesterday, all at the same time, that were on you know, the exact same time scale, and you were invested in the usual slate of Sunday NFL action. I mean, I had three TVs going yesterday, all in the same room, all at the same time. I had two on baseball and one on football. 
the drama yesterday was real and the tension was palpable. As the Yankees and Rays were 0-0 into the ninth, as the Red Sox were down, you knew Toronto was pummeling Baltimore. You're thinking to yourself, okay, what is going to happen to the Red Sox here, and you're playing the what-if game and scenarios and this tiebreaker and that tiebreaker, and could we get a four-way tiebreaker, or what if Seattle comes back, or what if it's a three-way tiebreaker, or who, that and the other, blah, blah, blah. It was unbelievable drama. It was a surreal day, and for all that we endured in sports of 2020, it's a day that we deserved. 18 months ago, we lost the NCAA tournament. We lost 140, or I'm sorry, we lost uh, 100 of our baseball games. We got football games without fans. We saw games canceled in college football. The NBA and NHL played later than they were supposed to. No fans. We saw the Olympics canceled. 2020 took so much from us. Yesterday, October 3rd, 2021, we got back some of that great drama and some of that great theater. It was amazing. And Baseball-wise, it obviously ended up breaking our way where the Red Sox are going to host a wild-card game. But riveting TV, and we also need to acknowledge this. Yesterday was a huge win for baseball. Baseball spends so much time getting dumped upon. And I hear so much about how baseball stinks and it can't attract this fan base and the sport is boring and it's old and the rules are antiquated and the commissioner stinks. I spend so much time hearing about how bad baseball is. But yesterday, when 305 hit, I can tell you that I had more TVs on baseball than on football. I can tell you that the volume was up on my TV on baseball, not on football. And it's rare, ever that baseball trumps football. But yesterday, in that time frame, it did. Now, I acknowledge, if Brady against the Bucks had happened at 425, I probably would have cared more about football. But I would have cared more about football because I had to. At 305 yesterday, until the whole until baseball ended, I was focusing most on baseball. I didn't give a rip about Pittsburgh and Green Bay, which was on local TV. I didn't care about the end of Jets, Titans, Buffalo was blown. None of it mattered to me. When baseball was on yesterday, it was baseball, and that was a win. That baseball for one day could infiltrate football Sunday with drama like we've never seen before. I loved it. I loved it. Baseball mattered more than football for a period of time yesterday, and that was nice to see as a baseball fan. And then, of course, at night, we get the nightcap. We got the Brady-Belichick game, and you know we knew the circumstances would be dramatic. We knew the pageantry would be epic, but we weren't sure. We didn't know if the game would actually be epic. But, of course, it, too, lived up to the hype, further making yesterday a great sports day. We ended up with everything that we could have wanted in that game, with the exception of a Patriots win, which we will get to. With the exception of a Patriots win, we ended up with everything we could have wanted. More great theater. You've got the rain coming down. Belichick, as a result, has to have the hoodie up. We got a close game, and we all wanted to pit all week Brady against Belichick directly, even though we knew they were never going to play each other. So what did we get? We got Belichick's defense against Brady's offense inside five minutes to play with the game on the line.
Brady, the old quarterback, driving against the old ball coach's defense. We got to see that matchup and it was as close to one-on-one as we ever were going to get. And Brady drives down and gets a field goal. And then for good measure, we get Brady's replacement, the heir apparent, the next guy, Mac Jones, who ultimately gets a chance to win it and gets a chance to do the very thing that Brady did in that building so many times before, win the game late and send somebody else home with heartache. Mac Jones got that chance, and he did just about everything he could until ultimately Nick Folk's field goal attempt to win it went just wide. Folk paces off his steps. Cardona will snap it back. Bailey turns and receives. Kick is airborne to the uplights. A line drive kick. Fighting off the goal post and hit the left upright. It hit the left upright. Tampa Bay still leads by two. After 36 consecutive made field goal tries, Nick Folk hit the left upright. So we get that drama. We get that game drama, all the storylines. And we also get Brady breaking the all-time passing yards record on the field that he was made famous on. You cannot write this script. Yesterday in sports had everything. And I just keep thinking back to March of 2020 when we were stuck at home watching no sports. And then even when we got it back, it felt like a very sterile sports environment. These are the days that we missed. Despite the Patriots losing, yesterday was the day that we missed for so long. You, you couldn't have asked for anything more as a sports fan. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. That's open. Mark in Jericho says, look, Brady, yeah, yesterday was fun, but ultimately the Patriots lost. Do, get to the point. Do you think they should have won the game? Mark, we're going to break down the game here as we go. And again, Christian Fourier, former Pats tight end, is going to be with us here in about five minutes. It's very hard for me to sit here and say the Patriots should have won. The Bucks are the defending champs. Even with the injuries, they have a superior roster. They have the best quarterback in NFL history, and the Pats have a rookie who was making his fourth NFL start. If the Bucs had gone there and won by two touchdowns, I don't think anyone would have been surprised. So the idea that the Pats should have won, that's a tough thing to say. But the Patriots definitely could have won. They had chances, plenty of them actually, They had penalties at inopportune times. They fumbled the ball. They threw a pick. They had a chance to go ahead late, and they just couldn't finish. The Bucs were missing a number of players. They were more susceptible. The Pats certainly could have won. I get that, and I get why you are frustrated. But I don't know if it's fair to say that they should have. The Buccaneers are the defending champions. They have the greatest quarterback of all time. You were missing James White. We're missing Trent Brown and have a quarterback making his fourth career start. Could have won? Yes. Should have won? I would say no. I think like 93% of the gambling money was on Tampa to win by more than a touchdown. Everybody thought it was far more likely that Tampa went there and blew the doors off the Pats than it was that the Pats won the game. And I don't think you should lose sight of that. 
And we're going to talk about if you believe in moral victories. That's coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. I think the Patriots do get a moral victory in this. I think what we saw yesterday in terms of growth and in terms of progress and in terms of heart and tenacity, I really do think that matters. Yes, they shot themselves in the foot. They have shot themselves in the foot a lot this season. They need to clean that up. But in yesterday's affair, to sit here and say they should have won, I, I don't buy that. That team is better than the Patriots are. That team is 3-1, and one, and that team is a Super Bowl favorite. The Patriots, even to me, look, this is me, on their best day, I thought they were you know, maybe competing for a division title. The Bucks are probably competing for a Super Bowl title. And when they get everybody back, then they're really competing for a Super Bowl title. The Patriots don't have that level of expectation. The Bucks do. The Bucks should win games like that. Even though they're going on the road, they're taking on an under 500 team that was under 500 last year. They are the ones that had the pressure on them. They needed to win. Or rather, you know, they should have won that game. When you're going through the schedule at the beginning of the year and you're checking off W and L, the Bucks they had that game earmarked as W. Patriots had it earmarked as L. Yes, the Pats could have won. To sit here and say they should have, no, I don't think that would be fair. Nobody had the expectation the Pats were going to be in the game, nevertheless have a chance to win the game. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, Pats lose to the Bucks, 19-17. As a result, they fall to 1-3. So what is the ultimate end game for this team? I still think they can finish around 500 and potentially be a playoff team. Am I justified in thinking that? Former Pats tight end, two-time Super Bowl champion, Christian Fourier. He's with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Patriots fall to the Buccaneers last night, 1917, with the loss. The Pats are now one and three. Breaking it down with us now is former Pats tight end, two-time Super Bowl champion Christian Fourier, now a radio host with our guy Lou Maloney over at WEEI in Boston. Christian, simply put, your assessment of last night's game was what? Oh, man. Uh, lived up to the billing, but just as frustrating. It just, I think what I found with it, just as far as the Patriots go, they're still plagued by the same issues that plagued them in the first three games. Penalties, substitution issues, turnovers. They just, and it's at the worst possible time. Like even yesterday, last night, you know, they, uh, you know, they, in the fourth quarter, driving down, it's a second and one. Uh, there's a procedural penalty because David Andrews doesn't snap the ball. The entire, yeah. all 10 players are backing up, moving. And he hasn't. He doesn't snap the ball. It turns it into a two, second and six. Uh, Brandon Bowling ends up getting the first down. But it's just plays like that that constantly just plague this team, and it's and it's ultimately frustrating. So the whole moral victory. Look how good Mac played. Look at the defense and what they were able to hold the Bucks to. To me, it just makes it worse. I feel like it twists the knife even more that you let an opportunity pass you by because. You're just stupid. Would you have kicked a field goal at the end like the Pats tried to, or would you have gone for it? No, I think at that point in time, your best opportunity is to kick the field goal. Let's just assume you don't get it. 
if you if you don't get it, the game's over. They're just going to kneel on it. So I think the risk reward laid with kicking the field goal. And Bill ta- already talked earlier this morning about it, and he said, uh, you know, Nick Polk has been very consistent, and he's right. And he was hitting those kicks even in the rain in pregame. So I think everybody felt real confident that Nick had a pretty good chance of making that field goal. And he came about an inch away from actually doing that. So he had the distance. You know, he had the right height. He just hooked it a little bit to the left. If that, if that is an inch or two inside that post, it ricochets into the goal post and you win the game. You know, I do think Mac Jones played well. 31 of 40 for 275, two scores and the one pick. But part of the reason he had to do all that is because this team couldn't run the ball a lick. They finished with negative rushing yards yesterday. We thought that that was going to be what this team was built on. So what's up? Well, I think a couple of things are up. One, you have back-to-back weeks when you played against really good uh, front seven. Two teams in the Saints and the Bucks that are really good at not allowing anyone to run on them. Now you have a bunch of injuries, um, and, and now you're moving guys around. Ted Karras played a lot um, on when you had a rough day, and you're just not what you thought you were going to be. So I think when Trent Brown comes back, I think you'll get better. But ultimately, it's not the line that we thought it was going to be. They just, they just don't push people around is what you want an offensive line to do. And when they need a, a yard or two, they can't get it to you. So ultimately – I think that probably needs to be reassessed as far as what your expectations are for them as far as the running game goes. And maybe by the time Trent Brown comes back, they're respectable. But, you know, credit to the Patriots and Josh McDaniels for just, you know, identifying that that ain't going to work and just putting the ball in the hands of Mac Jones. What did you think of the play calling yesterday from Josh McDaniels? He let Jacoby Myers throw it not once but twice. The one in the fourth quarter late to Aguilar – down the sideline, I thought that was probably the best play call of the night. Yeah, you know what? They've been doing that the past couple of weeks, really. It's just they need to find special plays to kind of keep defenses, you know, off their spot. And because it, they do have a tendency to be predictable, especially when the Bucks know they can't run it and they kind of have a really good idea of what you can do offensively. Listen, they always work. I tell you what, the one thing I'll say about Josh is. He'll write up all these plays, he'll draw them up, and he'll call them. And that's one thing. So he commits to calling them. The other thing that I think he doesn't get enough credit for is the timing of it. He really does an excellent job of timing the the play calling. Like, he calls it at the perfect time, and that's why they have a, a, a high success rate with those trick plays. Two-time Super Bowl champion, former Pats tight end Christian Fourier with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You mentioned some of the things that have plagued the Patriots. One of them is turnovers. The Pats continue to give it away without being able to take it away. Defensively, what can they do to wreak some havoc and cause some turnovers? Well, you know, I I, I think one, you just got to get around the ball. I think good things happen when you get around the ball. And what you saw last night, uh, Mac Jones' first interception, that wasn't the ball being tipped. He threw it into traffic. He shouldn't have thrown the ball. But there was pressure, so he forced it. The other one was J.J. Taylor. You know, he tries to run. He, he gets the ball knocked out of his hands. But defensively, you know, for the Patriots, just getting around the ball, like getting pressure, getting at the quarterback, swiping at it with as much opportunities as possible. It just doesn't bounce your way because it's your turn. 
like the, all those terms were created. The first one by pressure on Mac Jones that he forced it, and the other one by Taylor. You get the ball. And I would say Jacoby Myers in the first quarter, he actually fumbled it. Hmm. And, but they, they, they overturned it. I thought was a benefit was like a, a plus-plus for the Patriots that they didn't give the ball there. But even with that being said, the, the, the interception, the, the Bucks missed the field goal. No harm, no foul. The J.J. Taylor fumble, um, uh, they, don't get any, they don't get any points. No harm, no foul. So, you know, they, had, they ended up punting the ball. So they, they didn't benefit from the turnovers. So it's like the Patriots were saved by their own, by their own hand because the defense bailed them out. What did you think so, of how yeah, – They're still in the same situation. What did you think of how Brady played overall? I thought it was just all right. I thought it was okay. I thought there was some balls that he forced into errors. I feel like there was a couple times where the receivers and him were not on the same page, uh, which is uh, which is doesn't happen that much. Um, and I, but I also think that the Patriots defense did a really good job in the red zone, like a really good job, uh, limiting limiting them to field goals. You know, forcing them uh, to kick field goals. And everything the Patriots needed to happen to upset the Bucks happened. You know, um, they held them to field goals. They missed the field goal. Um, you know, the final score was 19 to 17. I mean, they did everything they needed to do, and that was. And they even gifted them a couple opportunities, and they were still in the game, which should one make you feel kind of happy, but at the same time, kind of piss you off <laughs> because if you just clean up some real simple things, you'll you'll have an easier opportunity to win these games. What did you think of the way the Pats did the uh, Brady reception stuff? A one-minute video while Brady's in the tunnel. They don't, you know, didn't have an opportunity really to stop the game after he broke the passing yards record. Did you think the Pats should have done more, or did they do an appropriate amount? I think it was fine. I think, I mean, what are you supposed to do? You know, he's playing for another team. You still want to show your respect and admiration for him, but you don't really want to take away the home field advantage. <laughs> so I think they did the right thing. You know, I mean, what – there will come a time when the entire stadium is filled and we all welcome Brady back with open arms. He gets his number retired. I'm sure there'll be a statue at some point in time. Maybe a street will be named mm. after him. And, um, but as of right now, I think they did I – think, I thought it was, you know, well done. Classy, respectful, and timely. As we look at the Pats, they're now 1-3. and three. Now they're going to play the Texans next week, so certainly a game they should win and maybe a chance for them to get right. But as they sit at 1-3, and three, what do you think of this team now? What is their overall outlook? Well, the plus side to all this is that everyone else, uh, three, three out of the four teams in your division are 1-3. and three. Uh, The Buffalo Bills are probably going to run away with the division, so your best chance of getting into the playoffs is really as a wild card. So there's still hope for that. Um, it's going to be tough, but they just can't lose the games they're supposed to win. They have to beat the teams they're supposed to win. Um, so as far as the playoffs go, is it still uh, realistic? Sure. But, man, they're at the bottom of the hill looking up. They have so much work to do. But, they, I mean, it's four games. So only a, basically a, not even a quarter of the season is over yet, obviously because they added a game. So um, it's got to clean some things up. But four weeks in a row, well, the, the mistakes are the same. That's concerning. Who's the one player you want to see more from? The one player you expected more from that you haven't gotten it from yet? Um, you know what? Um, I think all the receivers are pretty much doing what I thought they would do, like Aguilar, Bourne, um, 
uh, Myers. I guess it would it would be easy to say that I would want more from the tight ends, um, and I think you're going to see that the more opportunities they get in the red zone. These guys are perfect for attacking the middle of the field and the deep parts of the red zone, right? So you get inside the 20, your tight ends and your backs should really feast in this area. Short gains, long gains, play action passes, they really should be the beneficiary of red zone numbers. But right now, they're not. They both scored touchdowns last night, which is what you expect to see. I think these guys collectively should have, you know, 12 touchdowns between the two of them. You know, but if they can't run the football, then none of those play action passes are going to work. No one's going to bite. No one's going to fall for it. So there's just a lot of work to do. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. We saw yesterday Mac Jones again, a lot on his plate, looked pretty good doing it. Is this a, uh, a, a situation now where it's let Mac cook, or do they need to get back to basics and try to establish the run again starting next week? Well, you know what? They're only going to do, like, if they can't run the ball. Like, they're just not going to force the issue. Uh, they're still going to work on it, and hopefully the pass, the running game catches up to the passing game. But ultimately, I just feel like they know that turnovers kill any opportunity. The one game that they won was a game where they didn't turn the ball over against the Jets. So I do think they want to kind of, you know, give them a little bit more leash, but they still want to reduce those, you know, opportunities for picks and turnovers. Christian Fourier, former NFL tight end, two-time Super Bowl champion, now a radio host at WEEI in Boston. Christian, we appreciate the time as always, and we will talk to you again down the road. All right, thanks. Absolutely. There goes Christian Fourier. Appreciate his time. <clears throat> you know, we're going to react to a lot of what he said in the 6 o'clock hour. I've met Fourier a few times at Super Bowls. He's, he's a great guy, really great in person. Always enjoy his perspective. You know, he does his radio show in Boston with former Red Sox infielder Lou Maloney. The staff has told me I have to tell this story. I ha- And I've been kind of like waffling back and forth on whether or not I want to. But I got into a little Twitter thing yesterday with Lou Merloni. Lou Merloni and I had a little Twitter, not beef. Beef is too strong, but uh, Lou was calling me out on Twitter a little bit yesterday. I, I didn't want to tell the story. The staff's telling me I have to. So why was Lou Merloni mad at me? And did I handle it the right way? That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to thank former Patriots tight end Christian Fourier for stopping by the show. If you missed that interview or any of our interviews or any of our shows, you can always Subscribe and download our full show podcast. It's free. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. And uh, I'm I'm proud to announce and happy to announce that over the weekend we crossed the 300,000 download plateau for us, the 300,000 download mark. So of our podcast, 300,000 times our show has been downloaded. We haven't even been on the air yet for a year. We're closing in on a year but uh pretty remarkable something you know i i know this was new for a lot of our audience the idea of this show and uh whether you're a longtime wdev listener or this show brought you to wdev we appreciate you finding our podcast so subscribe to it again on apple Podcasts and spotify and here's to the next 300 000. all right i didn't really want to tell this story 
but the staff has implored me to tell this story. So, yeah, I spent much of yesterday being uncomfortable, and I woke up this morning being uncomfortable too. And the reason why is because Lou Merloni, former Red Sox infielder, you hear him on this on this station all the time. We play a lot of his sound bites on the Red Sox games. He and I had a interaction on Twitter, and it ended up becoming uncomfortable for me. And so here's the story. Last week, like last Wednesday, Lou Merloni was on WEEI talking about J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez has a I – I got to go through this whole backstory now. J.D. Martinez has a opt-out at the end of this season. If he opts in to his contract with the Red Sox, he's got one year left, $19 million. So he can be, be a Red Sox in 2022, one year, $19 million. He can also opt out and become a free agent and do free agency. So Lou was talking on WEI about that scenario. If I'm Boris, I'm in his ear telling him, you know, you can you turn down 19 to get 45 because if you go and have a bad year, which is, I mean, he looked bad recently. I mean, he's locked up. He's chasing sliders down and away. He can't lay off of them. And you kind of worry about where it's headed next year. So that was Lou end of last week, mid last week, before what we saw this weekend. So kind of ignore the part about, you know, how Martinez looks. But he said, if I'm Scott Boris, I'm in his ear trying to get him to opt out because I think I can get him more than one year, $19 million. So then, so Lou made the case, you know, why it would be beneficial to opt out, but he did it from Boris's perspective. So what happened was on Friday, I spoke to Buster Olney. I asked him about those comments, and then I put on Twitter the clip of Buster Olney answering about J.D. Martinez's situation, and I wrote the tweet as, Lou Merloni thinks J.D. Martinez should opt out. Here's what Buster Olney said. And I tagged Lou in the tweet. So it said, you know, at Lou Merloni thinks J.D. Martinez should opt out. Here's what Buster Olney of ESPN thinks. I, I only tagged Lou, and I never really do that. I tagged him because I knew he had been talking about it. I wanted to get the conversation going, and I wanted to get our work out there. And I thought it would be a positive Twitter engagement. Well, Lou sees it. Right, as he should, because I tagged him in. And he says, in capital letters, I never said that, ever. And I'm a little taken aback, and I got defensive. So I sent Lou the clip, and I said, Lou, here's what I was reacting to. Here's the clip. And Lou responds, and he says, yeah. I said, if I were his agent, I would have him opt out. I did not say he should opt out or I want him to opt out or I would opt out if I were him. So Lou took issue with my wording on the tweet. And and I can understand that. Like, I got defensive initially and I tried to play, gotcha, gotcha, look, I got the clip, I got the clip. But the more I thought about it yesterday and the more I thought about it today, I was like, you know what? It was a mischaracterization of Lou's words. He did say, right here, if I'm Boris, I'm in his ear telling him. If I'm Scott Boris, if I'm his agent, so Lou's right. He he did not explicitly say that J.D. Martinez should do it. He didn't say that he would do it. So my initial wording was poor. And even though I got defensive, the more I sat on it yesterday, I was like, you know what? He's right. And I don't know that I come off looking very good in this. So, like, I'm not afraid to get into it with people on Twitter. I'm really not. I'm not afraid to go back and forth, and I'm not afraid to defend my position, but I'm really not in the business of getting people PO'd who I really like. And 
Lou Merloni is truly one of my favorite guests that we've ever had on this show. And I did, I'd like to keep getting him on, so it's not a bridge that I want to burn. So I wasn't then quite sure what to do. I had put up a tweet. Lou was, you know, had reacted to it. I then got defensive and tried to prove myself right, but really all I think I was doing was digging my, my heels in and becoming more wrong. And so I didn't know what to do. There was like, I, like there were three things that came to my mind of how I could handle this. I could have just not reached out to Lou for a couple of months and hoped that after New Year's he had forgotten about it and he could come on the show again or he would whatever. I could have started a full-blown Twitter beef with him and just gone nuclear and totally burned the bridge. I didn't really that, that definitely wasn't what I wanted to do. Or I could reach out and apologize. So I reached out to Lou Maloney and I apologized. And I don't know if that makes me soft, if that makes me weak, if that makes me, you know, bad at the business because we're supposed to go at each other and debate and all this and we're supposed to fight. I don't know. But I, I apologize to Lou this morning. 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Do you think, well, what should I have done? Should I have apologized? Should I have let it go? Was it no big deal? Should I have ignored it and just waited until after New Year's and the season's over and try to get him again next year? What should I have done? Because I, 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 when I first saw the interaction, I was like, okay, I, I got the clip. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to fire back. And then when he said, yeah, but listen to it again, I said explicitly if I were his agent, I would do this. I was like, you know what? He's right. And last night I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy. I lose one of my favorites. Is he not going to come on the show anymore? What, what should I? How? Why? Why did I do that? Why did I even tag him in it? Why did I not be more careful in my wording? This morning I woke up, my stomach was in a bit of a knot, even, and I was like, "We got playoff games coming up, and Lou's going to be part of the broadcast, and I'm going to want Lou on this show again, and I don't know what to do." So I apologized, and that's the first question. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. This one's from Nancy. In Montpelier, Brady, I don't think it was weak to apologize. I think it's a good thing to admit when you are wrong. But the question is, did he respond to you? And are you guys good now? Well, I'm happy to report Lou did respond. He responded quickly. Very nice response. We sent a couple of messages back and forth. We are good. So Lou Merloni and I are good. But he's, you know, it makes me happy. But I was nervous yesterday and this morning. Like, if people ask me, if people ask me, you know, what's something that you're, that you, you know, are proud of about yourself in this business, I am proud of the guests we get on this show. Okay? I am proud of the guests that we get on this show. I'm proud of the relationships and context that we have. I would hate to have lost Lou Merloni as a guest on this show because of something on Twitter. And again, he was right. I mischaracterized his position. And, and at the end of the day, is it that big a deal? Probably not. Lou, Lou sends a bunch of tweets every day. I'm sure mine probably would have gotten forgotten about over the course of the next several months. But the idea that I could have burned that bridge, especially when I was wrong, that didn't sit well with me. I had to apologize. And and I did. And Lou responded. And I didn't want to lose you know the ability to bring Lou on, to bring Lou on the show. And uh, I didn't. I was unsettled for a bit. But... Uh, Lou is good. I am good. We're good. And that Lou will come on the show again at some point. Will uh, in Plattsburgh says, you did the right thing by apologizing, Brady. It shows you have values. Well, I appreciate that, Lou. Or, I'm sorry, Will about Lou. Um, 
Yeah. Like that, so that's the story. That's the story the staff wanted me to tell. And it was ironic because I knew we were having Fourier on the show today. And Fourier is Lou's partner. So, like, I'm picturing in my mind that Lou is going to talk about this with Fourier. And Fourier is going to be like, wait, that guy? I'm going on his show today. And I, I did not know what was going to happen then. So I'm, like, picturing this in my mind getting very, very bad. And in my mind, I blew it up way more than it probably was. But I was like, nope. Number one, I was wrong. So I need to apologize anyways. Two, Fourier's coming on the show today. You know, that's his partner. I think it's appropriate, you know, considering the timing. So squashed it. It's all good. But, uh, you know, there's the story. The staff's like, you got to tell the Lou story. I'm like, do I have to really tell the Lou story today where I look like an idiot? And almost cost us a great guest. It's like, yeah, you got to tell it. So the staff is happy. A couple of them are laughing in the background over there on the other side of the glass. But that's the story. We're all good. I mean, if you think I was weak to apologize, you can let me know. But so far, we're two for two on people who think I did the right thing. So I thought I did the right thing, too. Lou was gracious, appreciated it, said no big deal, not to worry about it. He was just happy that we were talking Red Sox. You know, because he's, you know, banging the drum about wanting to talk about a team that's been pretty interesting this year. And uh, he's happy to know that we were talking about him. So, there we go. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. On the Red Sox, we need to step back. Tomorrow's the playoff game against the Yankees. We need to step back and acknowledge that this Red Sox season overall was special. I understand it wasn't perfect. We spent a lot of time complaining about the Red Sox. There were issues this year. There still are issues heading into tomorrow. There are questions. There's plenty of questions headed for the offseason. But today isn't really the time for that. What's important today is to understand that this season was so much better than anything we could have expected. The Red Sox were projected to finish fourth. They finished tied for second. And they had the advantage on the Yankees, and that's why they get to host the tiebreaker. Projected to finish fourth, finish tied for second with the tiebreaker in hand. I projected them to win somewhere between 78 and 85 games. They went way above and beyond. They won 92. They won anywhere between 7 and 15 more games than they were projected to win by me. That's a very good plus rate right there. And maybe even most importantly, the Red Sox provided a summer's worth of enjoyable baseball. Do I wish that they could have held on to what they were doing in April through July? Of course I do. But after what we went through last year, where the season was so dreadful, where they finished in last place, where they had the worst winning percentage in 50 years for the organization, we got a season this year that kept us not only entertained, but kept us engaged throughout. I am thankful for that. Whenever my team keeps me interested for the entirety of the season, I consider that a win. Yes, I want them to win the World Series. And I don't think they're going to. And I'll be disappointed when their season is over, whether it's tomorrow or in three and a half weeks. But they kept us engaged for the entirety of the season. And after what we saw last year, we should all be thankful to them for that. 92-70. and 70. And they dealt with a lot. They dealt with some underperformance. They dealt with some injury. They dealt with COVID. They dealt with playing in the best division in baseball. I know the NL West 
had two powerhouses in the Dodgers and the Giants. But overall, the Rockies, meh. The Diamondbacks, ugh. The, 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 the AL East, best division in baseball, and the Red Sox navigated it well enough to make the playoffs. We should be thankful for that, and we should be applauding that. There's plenty of time to crush people if they lose tomorrow. We can spend Wednesday, Wednesday's show crushing people if we want. But today is a day for appreciation. And this season has brought us a lot of good about this organization. To me, it, this season brought me a newfound belief in Nathan Evaldi. This is a guy I never trusted. I never trusted that he would stay healthy. He made all his starts, and he became your ace. That was born out of 2021. Nathan Evaldi will take the ball tomorrow, and I hope he wins. But whether he does or doesn't, it does not change the fact that he made more than 30 starts this year. He made some critical starts, and he dominated against some really good teams in some really big spots. This 2021 season brought us the reemergence of Rafael Devers, who feels like he's been here for a really long time. Devers is 24 years old and won't be 25 until the end of the month. Rafael Devers gets lost in the shuffle when you talk about other young superstars in baseball. He doesn't have the flair of a Fernando Tatis. He doesn't have the dual threat ability of a Shohei Otani, but he is a stud and he's 24 years old. And he was disengaged last season. I get it. You know, I understand it. He did not have a good year last year, but he had 38 home runs and 113 RBI this year. The Red Sox are not in this position without him, and he is the next guy that I would want to lock up long-term on this roster. This season brought us that. It brought us the development of Tanner Houck, the development of Nick Pavetta. Houck threw five perfect innings in a must-win game on Saturday. The Sox are notorious for not being able to develop pitchers through their system, and Houck put up some good moments this year to maybe change that narrative, and Pavetta, you know, Great at times, average at others. He was acquired in a trade. He didn't come directly through the system, but he's a young pitcher. The Red Sox are cultivating, and he certainly has talent. And the curveball he threw yesterday to Kay Soto to clinch the playoff berth was beautiful. And it brought us the rebirth of Alex Cora, who, I got to admit, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. But management bought in. The fan base bought in, the players brought in, and Alex Cora was likable this year. And I usually don't like guys who cheat and guys who cheat the game, but Alex Cora was accountable, he was responsible, he owned up to what he did, and he never ran from it. And I respect that. Guys who get suspended for steroids, they want to just say, it's in the past, I'm moving forward. Guys who get suspended for off-field issues, it's in the past. I'm moving forward. Alex Cora didn't do that. He went on the, uh, you know, he went on the uh, uh, apology tour. He answered questions. He did the right thing. He said the right thing, and he did it all year long. And I liked what he said yesterday about how much this season meant for his family. It means a lot, and I would think about my family. You know, I put him in in such a horrible spot last year, and uh, you know, for me, I I can deal with it. <clears throat> I'm, you know, I. I can deal with it, you know, and, uh, but for them it was pretty tough. And, uh, you know, the, the support system that, that I have is amazing. All year long, I appreciated Alex Cora's honesty and his openness. 
And I appreciated his resilience because I think it was reflected in the team's resilience. Yesterday, the Red Sox were down 5-1, and they came back in one. That shows some real heart, and I think Alex Cora is a part of that. This team had no heart last year. It didn't have a lot of talent, but it also lacked a lot of heart. And Alex Cora, I think, brought some of that back this year. A high-character win yesterday by a generally high-character team all year long, and I've had a lot of fun watching. So we can we can bitch and we can complain about what they did or didn't do here or there and which guy underachieved. We can have those talks, and we will. But for today, we need to acknowledge that this has been an enjoyable season and way better than anything that we thought. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on DEV. It's time for Who's Saying What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Here's what we know about New England. Their running game production, their offensive line, their special teams and their defense will all be top five, and they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, I have two clips today. By the way, we might have to update that Cowherd thing there, talking about how running game and, and – uh, Pass blocking or offensive line are going to be both top five because right now they, the Patriots are just putrid in that regard. But the offensive line has been a complete just turnstile at points. But anyways, I have two clips today that I want to use to really articulate a point. I think yesterday, even in a loss, showed a lot about Mac Jones. And I think yesterday was a huge day for him. I already think that Mac Jones was liked and respected by his teammates. But after yesterday... I think there's a whole new level of appreciation for him. I know that I have a new level of appreciation for him, and I think his teammates do too. And I think it's a big deal when you have a rookie, a 23-year-old, that can elicit these kinds of sound bites from 5- and 10-year veterans. I think that that matters. Listen to David Andrews, his offensive lineman, his center, talking about Mac Jones. Yeah, you know, um, I feel like every time I sit up here I say something, you know, but I think he just keeps showing. Um, he's got some guts. Uh, it's an honor to get to play with a you know a guy like that, and um, you know we just got to find a way to win win a football game. And um, you know he battles, he battles, and um, you know he's a he's a tough kid. So that's David Andrews, the offensive lineman. You kind of expect your offensive lineman to have the quarterbacks back. Well, how about Devin McCourty, defensive captain? What did he have to say about Mac? We're not worried about the kid. He, he's been preparing. He, I mean, the guys in here late. He's in here early every day. Um, he's one of the guys now. Like we don't see him as a rookie. Like we honestly, we expect him to lead. We expect him to be our quarterback. And uh, I think that speaks volumes about how far he's grown since he's been here. Um, he has everybody's trust in that locker room. Mac Jones continues to battle, and he continues to grow, and he just plays hard. And I think more than anything, veterans, they appreciate when guys who are young come in, put their head down, and play hard. Do you always have to be the best? No. It would help if you were, but no, you don't have to be the best to earn guys' respect. Do you need to tear the stat sheet up? It would help, but no, you don't have to. Just show up ready to punch in and work, and that's what Mac Jones does, and that's what matters. And last night, Mac Jones did it in the face of major adversity. 
there was the pressure of the game, the pressure of the moment, the pressure of Tom Brady coming back to town, and none of it looked like it was too big for Mac Jones. And then there was the physical pressure that he was put under. He was hit 12 times. He was sacked four times by that, you know, as a result of that offensive line being a turnstile. And Mac Jones just kept coming. And he had no run game yesterday. Patriots ran for negative one yards yesterday in the loss. We've said all along the offensive line and the run game should insulate Mac Jones from a lot of stuff. Well, not yesterday. Mac Jones was on an island, and he did it on his own. And his teammates loved him for it because I know they recognized it. And I told you, he made a bigger fan out of me yesterday. I haven't believed in Mac Jones an awful lot. I like him. I don't love him. Yesterday, I loved him. And so he impresses the average fan, the average media member, his current teammates, and the guys who used to play the position in Foxborough who know the standard, he impressed them too. Here's Matt Castle. The thing for everybody in New England right now, they found their guy. Mac Jones, this game was put into his hands. He was the entire production of that offensive unit today. 275 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and he was under duress all game long. I mean, I was so impressed with how he played, the composure that he had, the hits that he took, kept getting up. He just kept getting up. He just kept coming back. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't bark. He doesn't point the finger. In fact, he points the finger at himself probably too much. Very accountable in the same way that Cam was last year. I still don't know if Mac Jones will ever be worth $40 million. But yesterday, Mac Jones won me over, and I bet he won over a lot of you too. If you weren't on board, I think there's a lot of people who are starting to get on board on the Mac Jones train. I know that I am one of them. Now he's got to try to repeat it. They've got to go out and beat a very, you know, hapless Texans team. There's a win that must be had next Sunday. But Mac Jones earned, you know, earned some more fans yesterday. He was resilient. He was tough. He's smart. He works hard. And his teammates, as you heard, respect the hell out of him. And that really, really matters. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots lost. They're now 1-3. But do we take any moral victories from what we saw yesterday? A lot of people don't. I actually do. I'll tell you why I do take yesterday as a moral victory. That's next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on DEV, WDEV AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. .com show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. Pro Driver Training is Vermont's premier truck driver training school locations in Enosburg and in Milton, and it could be the next step in your career. You can get your Class A CDL, Class B CDL training, advanced skills training, passenger training as well, coursework, plus real-life application of those skills as well. So if you're looking for a new move in your career, maybe the first move in your career, I recommend giving Pro Driver Training a visit, CDL. Com. I, I think I'm probably in the minority here, but I do take yesterday what we saw from the Patriots as a moral victory. I feel like I need to duck and you know cover my head as I say that, but I do think what we saw yesterday constitutes a moral victory. I know, Brady, it's pro sports. It's only about wins and losses. There are no moral victories. Yeah, there are, and last night was one of them, but I'd love to hear from you. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 
30-26. Can you take a moral victory out of what you saw last night, or am I crazy? Because I don't think that I am. But Christian Fourier, former Pats tight end, we had him on an hour ago, two-time Super Bowl champion, he said there's no such thing as a moral victory. What I found, with just as far as the Patriots go, they're still plagued by the same issues that plagued them in the first three games. Penalties, substitution issues, turnovers. They just – and it's at the worst possible time. Like, even yesterday, last night, you know, they uh, – you know, they in the fourth quarter, driving down, it's uh, second and one. Uh, there's a procedural penalty because – Fourier is right. I, we have to acknowledge that. Fourier is right. The Pats did things yesterday to beat themselves. And if they hadn't done them, then they very well may have won the game outright. They were 2 of 9 on third down. They allowed several big third down conversions to the Bucks. Pats turned it over twice, committed eight penalties. And this has been a theme for the first four games. The Pats have more penalties than their opponents, more penalty yards than their opponents, and have committed more turnovers than their opponents. So I get Fourier's points. If you want to be glass half empty and say they would have won if they didn't do X, Y, or Z, then fine. But I'm zagging. Everyone else is zigging. I'm zagging. My point is this. Nobody, nobody really thought the Patriots had a chance to win this game. If you are giving truth serum to every Patriots fan, more of them would have said they're going to get beat 40-10 to 10 than would have said they're going to win the game. So the fact that they came close, the fact that they came inches away from winning that game should be encouraging. And, you know, you saw that this was the first time, the first game that Mac Jones really owned the offense. Out there on that field last night, Mac Jones looked and played like Tom Brady. And that's all I've heard that everybody wants is for Mac Jones to play the way that Tom Brady did for 20 years. And yesterday he did. He took the checkdowns. He ran play action. He got the tight ends involved. He took some shots, you know, not deep down the field, but he took some intermediate shots in the middle of the field that looked like a Patriots game of old. And the number one goal... For this season, you know, the minute you went to Mac Jones, for me, the goal became about his development. How can we get Mac Jones developed? And yesterday was a huge step forward in that development. We wondered if Mac Jones can do it, and yesterday we got some proof that just maybe he can. He completed 78% of his passes, and he did it with no help from the run game. Negative one yards. They only ran it eight times yesterday. The run game was non-existent. Non-existent. And Mac Jones did it. Now, Fourier says no uh, moral victories. Mac Jones today said no moral victories. Former Pats linebacker Ted Johnson said no moral victories. So I'm on an island. Who's joining me on the island? Well, Tommy Curran of NBC Sports Boston. I think he's the only one. But the big upshot, Mike, is you're going to come out of this game and you're feeling like everything came full circle. Tom Brady is no longer a Patriots quarterback. He played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You got it out of your system. You spent 60 minutes cheering against him. Right. And now you have an answer. Not a temp, not an Andy Dalton, not a Cam Newton. You've got a rookie first-rounder who can play. Yeah, I think that's the way you should look at it. That's the way you should look at it. You know that you have a guy that can play now, and that's your goal. The goal of this season 
is, of course, to win, but it's also to develop Mac Jones and learn about him. And last night you learned more about him than you have in the previous three games. He, it wasn't just everything was going right for Mac, so he was able to look okay. Yesterday, a lot of things were going wrong for Mac, and he looked good. No run game, poor offensive line, penalties committed, threw a turnover and came back, overcame his running back fumbling, bad weather, greatest quarterback, not only in franchise history, but in NFL history, on the other side, and Mac Jones overcame all of it and put his team in a position to win. A lot of quarterbacks in the NFL wouldn't have been able to. Mac Jones did. I walked out of there yesterday not thinking about what went wrong. I walked out of that game, but I went to bed last night thinking about what went right. It stinks to be 1-3, but the rest of your division is 1-3 also. The schedule turns more favorable this week as you play Houston. So now... I'm thinking about that game, and I'm like, you know what? If Mac Jones can do that against Tampa in those circumstances, what can he do against Houston? I am now excited to watch Mac Jones and what may happen for him next, and I wasn't that way for much of the first three weeks. I am legitimately excited about Mac Jones and the way he played, and that's the first time that's happened this year. And while I understand that hope and optimism don't show up on the stat sheet, They do matter to me, and I do consider yesterday to be a moral victory. And not to mention, the defense showed it could still be elite. Bill Belichick showed that he could still put together an elite game plan. So we got a picture, a snapshot of what this team can look like in its best form with the defense playing like they did yesterday with Mac Jones playing mostly like he did yesterday. If they eliminate the turnovers, they do win that game. We got a picture of what this team can be, and I like that picture. I want them to be able to run the ball. I want them to be able to block better. But Mac Jones, a lot of teams in the NFL have to win when everything is on script. Yesterday, Mac Jones showed he can play without things being on script. All right, let's let's cue the music, people. All right, I got to admit, by the way, we're going to unpack the Patriots here. Every week, we put together a new montage. We put it together, it somehow disappeared from the system. So you get last week's montage instead. Good. Jones takes the snap, pressure comes immediately, floats it up, jump ball, it's caught. Kendrick Bourne at the two, extends, touchdown, New England. And the bat. He'll fake it to start. Oh, disastrous play to begin the half. And Malcolm Jenkins is going to cruise home for a pick six. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show. Yeah, it's even more frustrating because we actually made it and it disappeared from the system. But anyways, what's important is the content. Is the content. Unpacking the Patriots, number one. I thought the way the Patriots handled the Tom Brady stuff was largely appropriate. And kudos to the fans, too, because for the most part, I thought almost everything was dead on here. The fans cheered for him aptly pregame. They chanted his name. But when the game started, they were rooting for the Patriots. And I did not want to see New England fans root for Brady avidly during the game. And largely, they didn't. And I give them props for that. New England fans are ruthless, and they're great. And they should have stuck to that script yesterday, and they did. They showed proper loyalty to Brady pregame and postgame, and proper loyalty to the Patriots in game. 
I do wish the one-minute video tribute that was paid to Brady, you know, I wish it was while he was on the sideline, not while he was in the tunnel. But I'm probably quibbling with minor details there. Overall, I thought it was handled very, very well. I thought the team did well. I thought Brady did well. I thought the fans were excellent. And I applaud kind of all sides for how they handled this. Number two, I loved what Josh McDaniels did yesterday. Loved what Josh McDaniels did. I have criticized his play calling a lot in the past, but yesterday I thought he was great. He understood the team couldn't run. He didn't try to force it. He said, kid, we can't run. We're abandoning it, and we're going to throw. And he put more and more and more on Max Plate, and he recognized it, and Mac Jones handled it well. And when the time came to take a shot and to go into the bag of tricks, he did that as well with this beautiful play call. Oh, razzle-dazzle. Myers, the old high school quarterback, throws. It's Aguilar to the 10-yard line. My, my only regret is that that play, the, the Jacoby Myers throw to Nelson Aguilar, didn't go for a touchdown because it felt like the Patriots wanted that play to be a dagger. Aguilar took it to the 10, but it felt like they wanted that home run to be a play that scored. And if they score there the touchdown, you know, they were down 16-14. They go up 21-16. You're forcing Brady into needing a touchdown and instead of a field goal. And if you score a TD there on that play, the Pats might win the game because Brady needs a TD instead of a field goal. I love the play call. McDaniel's the guy I've been hard on before. He got creative yesterday. He put more on Max Plate, and he deviated from game script that the Pats wanted to follow. And I applaud him for that. Number three, analytics will say that Bill Belichick should have gone for it. Fourth and three, fourth and four in the fourth quarter, but I don't know. I was okay with Nick Folk attempting a 56-yard field goal, even though Folk missed it. Next-Gen Stats did some really complex write-ups on this play. They deemed it this way. Folk had a 45% chance of making the 56-yard field goal. A 45% chance. They said if the Pats went for it and got it, or if they went for it, they had a 52% chance of getting it. So they, they think they had better odds of getting the first down rather than kicking the field goal. I can understand that research, but the game is not played on a computer screen. The game is played by real people. I think kicking the field goal was an acceptable move. I don't know that I would sit here and say that I loved it, but I think it was acceptable. On the previous third down play, Mac Jones had pressure in his face and had the ball batted down. The Pats have a leaky offensive line. Folk had made 36 consecutive kicks. I could have very easily seen Mac Jones going back to pass and Tampa coming after him and sacking him or creating havoc, and then you never get a real chance. Nick Folk at least afforded you a real chance, and Folk had hit one from 58 in that direction in warm-up, so if he was comfortable in that, you know, from that distance, I'm comfortable trusting him because Nick Folk had made 36 consecutive kicks. If he tells me he can hit from 58 and I'm asking him to kick from 56, even in the weather, I'm willing to give him a chance. I could trust Folk. I can trust my defense. I understand getting the first down and running more clock, you know, would have ultimately probably helped you sap the game clock and maybe you win it that way. But I'm okay with the decision to kick the field goal. Remember, the kick wasn't short. We'd be crushing the Patriots, I think, 
if Folk just didn't have the leg. How could you not know he didn't have the leg to kick from there? It wasn't short. It was just slightly wide. I don't. The result was flawed. I don't think the methodology was. What's frustrating about the whole thing is that we talk about the Pats beating themselves. Remember this. Don't forget this. The Patriots had the ball second and one at the Tampa 46. And they got called for a false start. And that pushed them back five yards to their own 49. They ended up getting a first. But they ended up five yards different. Right? So they ended up getting a first. They extended the drive. But if they had never been pushed back, think about that kick being five yards closer. If everything else happens the same, that kick's from five yards closer and the Pats take the lead there 20-19 to and then they're playing defense. That's what frustrates me. When we talk about beating ourselves, the Pats beat themselves there with that false start penalty that pushed them back. And that's the difference between that kick being made and that kick, you know, sneaking inside the upright or hitting the goalpost as it did. Number four, I think the Patriots can start to go on a run now. I don't know what that means for just flat out wins and losses, but I know they're going to be favored in two of their next three games. They're going to take on the Texans, see Dallas, and they're going to see the Jets. They'll be favored in two or three of those games. I think this game being done is a huge weight off the Patriots' shoulders. They won't tell you that, but it simply has to be. This was the marquee game of the NFL schedule this year. It was the marquee game of the NFL regular season's history. Constant attention, and now that it's over, I think they can move on, and I think there will be a weight off their shoulders. I think Mac Jones will be happy about it. I think Bill Belichick will be happy about it. And frankly, I think Tom Brady will be happy about it. I think everybody was tired of the buildup. And I think they're happy that it's over and that we don't have to worry about this anymore. I think now Mac Jones and this team can just go back to playing football. There's no more anticipating things. There's no more looking ahead. There's only what's in front of us. And now what's in front of us is a game against the Texans and a game that the Patriots should win. I do think the Pats are happy and relieved that this game was over. That was Unpacking the Patriots. We do it every single Monday here after a Pats game on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox are going to take on the Yankees tomorrow in the AL wildcard game. Winner moves on to play Tampa. It's easy to look at yesterday's game and pick out the heroes. But beyond the obvious, there's a few people you need to remember for the Red Sox that won't get their just praise. I'm going to give it to them. That's next. You unexpected Red Sox heroes. That's next on WDEV. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Monday. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is coming up next here on WDEV. I want to tell you the show brought to you in part by Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a high-intensity interval training program located in South Burlington. It's a gym. It it can hold up to, you know, at the moment, because of COVID restrictions, about 30 people. But it's a a well-vented area there, and the class structures are as follows. It's a 60-minute class. You have a coach leading you through a workout. Every Orange Theory Fitness in the country is doing the exact same workout on that day. They focus on their strength days, power days, endurance days, endurance strength and power days. There's some fun themed workouts too. And and I can't work out any other way now. 
just going to a gym and lifting weights, that does nothing for me. I get nothing out of it. This is a one-hour structured workout. Get in, get out, high energy, high intensity, and you feel gains in every part of your life. I've done this for you know parts of four years now, and I won't work out any other way now. And anytime I'm forced to work out a different way, I don't get anything out of it. So Orange Theory Fitness, I recommend that you give them a call. Check them out on Facebook, Orange Theory Fitness Burlington. Learn about memberships or maybe a free class for your first time out. And tell them that you heard about it on WDEV. So Orange Theory Fitness, Shelburne Road, South Burlington, right off Interstate 189. There's a few Red Sox that deserve real praise for what transpired this weekend. It's easy to look at yesterday and heap praise on Alex Verdugo, the game-tying hit, and heap praise on Devers with the two home runs. They deserve it. But don't forget these people when you think about the Red Sox over the course of the weekend. Hirokazu Sawamura is one of them. He came in yesterday after sale, bases loaded, one out, it's 2 nothing. Sales just walked in a run, and immediately Sawamura gets a double play to end the inning. Now, I know that the Red Sox eventually showed an ability to come back, but... That game had a chance to be 5 nothing very early, and maybe the Red Sox go in the tank. But Sawamura, he had the ability to keep it there at 2 nothing for just a bit. Gets the momentum back in that dugout, endeavors homers in the next inning for the Red Sox, top of the fourth, and it becomes 2-1. to one. So they, Don't underestimate how important that play was, because if it turns into 5 nothing in the third... We might very well be we might very well have been done and we'd be playing a one game playoff right now between the Red Sox and Blue Jays. And I don't know if the Red Sox would win that matchup with how good Toronto's offense is. Sawamura keeping it at two nothing at the time was absolutely huge. The guy who I think deserves the biggest praise for the weekend is Kike Hernandez. Because he had the biggest play to me of the entire weekend. Remember back on Friday night, in the standings, the Red Sox were tied with Seattle. And the Red Sox played first, so they had the pressure on them. Seattle was playing later at 10 o'clock out west, so they needed to win or potentially risk falling behind Seattle, who again played later in the day against the Angels. Middle innings, Red Sox Nationals tied at zero. Red Sox looked tight. I don't want to call them nervous, but they looked tight. Middle of the game, Nationals loaded the bases with nobody out against Eduardo Rodriguez. Erod got got the next two outs. Bases loaded, two out, 0-0 game. And then the Nationals hitter hit a weak roller to second base, and Kike Hernandez charged it, barehanded it, and flipped it to Bobby Dahlbeck. Do we have the sound of that, guys? Oh, we do. Eddie says yes, the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a soft ground ball to the right side to second. Kike Barehands throws the first, and it is in time. Ah. A stretch and a pick by Dahlbeck, and they just get the speedy Stevenson. Wow. Bang, bang, and an unbelievable play by Kike Hernandez. That kept it at 0-0 and allowed the Red Sox to eventually come back and kind of get going on offense and come out and win the game. So, Kike Hernandez, I thought that was a massive play and was made even more impressive by the fact that Kike Hernandez was playing second base. Remember, he's played center field a lot. They prefer him in center, but they wanted to get everybody's bat in the lineup, so they put Kike at second this weekend. So that was a huge play. If the Red Sox get down on Friday, they very well may lose and you know have ended up behind Seattle. And then Hernandez, for good measure, hits an insurance home run on Saturday, made it 5-1, the Red Sox needed those runs because they gave up a couple runs in the ninth and only won at 5-3. Kike Hernandez, unsung hero of the weekend. And finally, don't forget about Jose Iglesias. 
I didn't think we'd be talking about the 2021 Red Sox and Jose Iglesias in the same sentence, but he played 23 games for this team in, in September, hit 356, had a huge homer against Seattle in, the, in that big series out west who the Red Sox were battling with here down the stretch. Iglesias stabilized the bottom of the order. He filled in while everyone was on the COVID list. He played good defense. Because he signed after September 1st, Iglesias is not eligible to play in the postseason. So he will not be on the postseason roster. But I don't know if the Red Sox get to the postseason without his contributions. I think of him as a light-hitting infielder. He hit 356. Jose Iglesias, huge part of the Red Sox unsung hero. Full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Go download it. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show. On tomorrow's show, we'll get you ready for Red Sox-Yankees, and we'll talk with Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots. Dinner Jazz is next right here on WDEV AM and FM.